Welcome to Mapping Healthy Minds, a podcast that poses the question, we all have mental health, how's yours? I'm your host and licensed marriage and family therapist, Justin Lewis. Mapping Healthy Minds podcast is sponsored by Compass Counseling. We all have mental health and taking care of it can't wait. You can learn more about Compass Counseling or book an appointment online at www.compasscounseling.com. Compass offers online counseling and in-person counseling in Paducah, Henderson, and Owensboro, Kentucky. Travis Atwell spent the majority of his life hyper-focused on athletics. When sports ended, there was a hole in his life that he filled with addiction. Hear his story of recovery and how it can be used to help others who struggle with similar problems. This episode was co-hosted with Katie Englert. Uh, She and Travis go way back and that's where the interview begins. I've not known very many people as long as I've known Travis. Um, yeah, you go way, way back. In fact, I was thinking about that on the way here. It's like almost feels like family. We've known each other so long, you know? Without a doubt. And, you know, I think that that's one of the things about being in a small town that you don't realize um, until you're older. Um, what a blessing that is and it's hard and it's messy and it's not easy and there's challenges but it is it's like a family um that's the best way to describe it and you know i think um when i when i saw you because i saw you on you recorded a video yeah we do you care to tell me a little bit about that so recently um There's been this movement here in Owensboro, something that I'm a part of called Owensboro Recovery Project. And uh, I've gotten involved with that. We're, we're basically trying to get a physical location. It's a 501c3, it's a nonprofit organization, um, just to try to bring, be a central hub for all things recovery here in Owensboro. There is a um, organization nationally called people advocating recovery and there's um these centers i think there's six in the state of kentucky right now but they're they're kind of popping up all over the country to just be a central hub for all things recovery all these resources are already out there for people in recovery to find uh help with job placement or to find housing uh to get into treatment on the front end or when they get out of treatment trying to get back into a a normal life and in society and be productive. Um, But these things are hard to find and so many people are falling through the cracks. And we feel like our our greatest resources are each other in recovery. There's people in recovery that know where these things are and how to get to them. Um, So we're we're, we're formed a group and we um, are gonna try to do that for people and just be a resource center for all things recovery, have um, different 12 step meetings, um, Christian based meetings and just be a place where um, all, all the different paths to recovery can come together because a lot of people get, get clean and sober in different ways and that's okay. We all have the same goal of recovering. Um, so we're just trying to, instead of being segmented, like you've got AA having their own cookouts and, and events and meetings then you have na and then you have celebrate recovery you have all these different segmented groups and we just want to bring everybody together because we all have the same goal and we all want to recover um so that's what we're trying to do but anyways the the video i put out was kind of connected to that um 
I've never shared my story publicly, but I've been in recovery for about two and a half years and have really gotten to know a lot of good people who are trying to do the right thing. And uh, I've been asked a few times to share my story at meetings and places and I never really was comfortable, partly because my situation is a little bit different being a teacher and I have students and I was kind of reluctant to do it. And then uh, during this quarantine time, I thought would be a good time, you know, and, and it, the relief that came with that was uh, tremendous. Uh, just the fact that it's out there and that it's who I am and it's okay. And I'm trying to get better. Um, so I, I put out that video, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago and just kind of sharing my story of what happened and uh, what I'm doing now. I can't remember exactly how old I was when we met, um, but I know it was very, I was very young. It was probably before kindergarten even happened. Um, yeah. You know, and one of the earliest memories I really, I was thinking about the other day and I was thinking about two early memories. And the one that kept popping up was whenever we were very young and I can't remember how old, maybe seven or eight. And in our community, they had some kind of event where you could like become like little Mr. Basketball and like do the uh, true. What was this? Tell me. That was, called, that was called anything goes. Okay. It was like yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. I saw, I was uh, thinking about that picture myself uh, that I saw at my parents' house recently of us dressed up as uh, I was a basketball player and you were the cheerleader. Yeah. We were, we were young. Yeah. We were very young and we were in some kind of contest to get there. Yeah. We had to go up on the, um, the stage there mm -hmm. and, uh, Pretty sure we won, by the way. Yes, we did win, <laughs> I think. For some, whatever reason was, part of winning that was doing um, the high school homecoming for basketball. Do you remember this? I do, I do. And I remember Carol, which is your mom, came and got us from school because we had to go do the homecoming practice at the high school. We were like in first or second grade. I mean, we were, we were very young. And I remember I was terrified. And so I'm sure you were too, because I was a lot more outgoing than you are. Yeah. For so sure. I feel like I, I didn't think about that then because I was a child. <laughs> but I mean, now <laughs> thinking, you know, I'm a, I'm a decently social person. I wouldn't say extremely extroverted. Um, I think with life, I've gotten more extroverted, but that was very, that was a lot of stress. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That was a big deal to walk out in front of a gym full of people. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I do remember that being like stressful and yeah. exciting at the same time. Like it was an honor. But uh, yeah, that's a good memory. I, I just saw that picture not too long ago and I thought about trying to bring it and hold it up to the camera here. So oh my gosh. It's a good <laughs> thing that this is a podcast, not really going to be video because that we was can uh, we can get that for our website or for social media. I think. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I Travis, I'll give you my email for this. I can locate that picture. That's for sure. That'd be great. They really are sweet pictures. I mean, we're just little innocent. I, I think we must have been five years old. I mean, we were young. Yeah, we were very young, <clears throat> and so that's kind of one of my earlier earliest memories. Um like a event focused, I guess. So one of my earliest memories of you was centered around sports. So talk about like for you when that you felt like that that really became something that you knew you were going to like hone in on. Well, I had older brother. I think that was a big part of it. Um, he was an athlete 
everybody that I can remember looking up to as a kid was involved in sports and just kind of something I grabbed onto. I was, uh, I was naturally good at it, even though I, I dedicated myself and got really good at it, um, with, through practice. But, uh, yeah, that was a part of my identity. That was really all I cared about as a kid, you know, and I mentioned this, but even to this day, there's, there's a lot of things I never learned how to do, uh, because every minute I had, I was playing ball. I was the kid out in the driveway at night shooting a hundred free throws and a hundred jump shots and keeping a little journal, how many I made and, uh, borderline obsessive with it. Um, I never learned how to really work on a car or change a tire or so many things uh, that I should know how to do now. And I'm looking back, I think it's because I was really so centered on sports and that whole, that whole thing. And it paid off for me in some ways um, was Mr. Football in high school, which I, you know, super proud of that. And then went to UK to play football, which was my dream as a kid to be a wildcat. Uh, but it, it has it has its um, downfalls too because I was so wrapped up in it. That whole culture of constantly competing—it's um, really a lot of ego, and it's seen as a good thing in sports, right? Like it was encouraged by coaches. That whole competition, everything's a competition, win at all costs. Um, when do you remember like thinking, "Oh yeah," like because I you know, as, as we were, you know, friends growing up, I don't ever, like, I remember us being in elementary school, and then I remember, like, you getting really good at sports, but sports were different then, too, than they are now, I feel like, um, so when did you, and was that something that you felt like was, like, within yourself, that you were, like, self-driven, or did you feel pressure from anything, or can you talk about that a little bit? A little bit, like, you know, I had a good childhood, good parents. Um, you know, my dad was always supportive, but he was hard on me a little bit too, especially when it came to sports. Like he would, he would kind of push me, um, which looking back, I never felt like it was really too unhealthy. There were some times where it was, I think, but as far as uh, feeling pressure, I, I just loved it. I think it was more self-driven. Just I had a, a different adrenaline. Um, I think even before, even when I was a kid, I had this addictive personality. And that was something I just poured myself into and went with. And it was, uh, it was a good thing at the time. You know, I really got into it, all sports, football, basketball. I did track and field. Um, and it was really the most important thing in my life, you know, uh, besides maybe family. But I, uh, you know, it was just who I was as a kid. I was, I was good at it. That's what, throughout when I got a little bit older, that's what people, if I ran into people I knew at the gas station or the grocery store, what you're going to do in a small community, that's what people talk to me about was sports. Mm-hmm. All right. So every little thing, uh, every conversation I had, people wanted to talk about the last game we had or when's your next game or how you doing in football or how's this. Everything was centered around sports which is um, normal, I think, was seen as normal. It is in Kentucky in the South, at least. It's like, that's the first, that's the first priority. It's like, okay, I'm going to see if this person's good at sports. If not, we'll figure out something else. But 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, that's the first priority. Okay, if they're good at sports, we can follow that path. But, mm -hmm. you know, if not, we'll figure out another hobby for them. But that's right. just the way that we kind of idolize sports in this area, I think. Yeah, and it, now I can see it's not really healthy. There were, I was setting myself up for... Sports can only uh, last so long, whereas other kind of things... Right, last and so I, didn't, I didn't understand that. I thought it was just going to be there forever. And that uh, oh, ego-driven competition, and it, it kind of conditions you to judge constantly comparing yourself to others, even when you're not playing sports, that whole mindset that you're conditioned with through sports, um, constantly comparing them, am I as good as, or am I not as good as, am I, uh, you know, just making a competition out of every little thing. And it, you know, it, there's a lot of greed in there and there's a lot of uh, um, just unhealthy habits, I think, that I learned <clears throat> that I went right along with. There's a lot of good lessons in there too, hard work and you know, dedication. But teamwork is is involved in that to right. some degree. Yeah, but I, I kind it's of very fickle. Sports is very fickle. All right. At any given moment, you can not be good at it, injury or whatever. And I really struggled <clears throat> when it was gone, because that's who I was for so long. And then my, you know, when when that was kind of no longer in my life. Um, I really didn't know how to operate and I, and I was still trying to operate on that ego. Everything's a competition and everything is, uh, you know, constantly comparing and judging and kind of just letting my thoughts drive myself crazy about measuring up to the world. And, uh, you know, I struggled for a long time. Yeah. And I can remember you being very disciplined and focused, like in a way, you know, I'm a very, I'm a driven person, you know, but I can remember like you, you know, more, more so because this wasn't just like, when I think about like, you are an excellent student athlete, like the, you are excellent at these things. Like, and you put time in and you, I can remember you like eating like hard eggs and like things that like, I didn't see any of our other friends doing like, so there was some discipline that you had there, but you said something earlier a few minutes ago that, um, you said that you like looking back now, do you feel like that you had an addictive personality? You, you said that a few minutes ago from mm -hmm. early on now that you recognize that. Right. So do you yeah. think that that's something that's just um, like that that's true or that through the lens of recovery that you've seen that? I think it, getting into recovery brought awareness to it for me, um, you know, through the 12 step programs, you learn a lot about yourself and now looking back and kind of reflecting, I had these addictive tendencies long before I ever started using um, what I did. And really throughout my childhood, it was sports. The thing that I, you know, it, I learned that we have all or nothing as addicts, we have all or nothing personalities. And that's part of this thing that happens in us. Um, that causes us to go down that path of using. And I can see that now looking back, like for me, it was sports and it as good as it was. Um, great childhood, great memories with it, but I also was uh, creating, you know, some things that weren't healthy for me at the same time. Yeah. So it's interesting to look back, like as you're grown up and as you're growing into who you're supposed to be becoming and those kind of things to see, oh, okay, those were things that contributed, didn't cause maybe, but I think everybody feels that um, 
along the way, oh, these are things that shaped me and these are things that I need to be aware of, you know, as a parent or moving forward or as a leader or, you know, in your case as a teacher also. Um, so I'm sure that those things have been, you know, I, I can only imagine that that hasn't been an easy journey for you. Um, no, it hasn't. And it's about balance for me, trying to keep my life in balance now because I still have this thing, this addictive personality. Um, there's still things I catch myself doing it like I do yoga now. So I try to do it the best I possibly can. I'm standing on my head, I'm doing yoga and I'm doing all these wild moves in yoga. I uh, get into fishing and I go fishing every free time I have, especially during this quarantine. I mean, I really get into things. So this thing still happens. So I have to really watch my thoughts and uh, try to keep some balance. I like to read and study a lot about like Eastern philosophy because that's what um, it kind of teaches is balance and slow down and um, see things from a different perspective as far as trying to keep things in balance and not reacting to emotion so much and just staying in the moment and, uh, and living day to day. Travis, do you feel comfortable talking about after sports and before, or like the, the period after sports until recovery? Sure, yeah. Okay, so I, I kind of, when I, I finished college, um, got a teaching degree, and um, kind of was already starting to do a lot of things to fill that void from sports. I um, was was drinking a lot, a lot of marijuana use, just partying. Uh, got a teaching job, moved back home. I had met my wife in college. We got married in 2006. I hope that's right. <laughs> we can we can edit that. I'll edit that. I think I can do an impression. <laughs> we yeah. can edit all this. 2007. <laughs> yeah. Um, so really started to struggle with um, just trying to to live. Uh, without sports, really, and in a way that I was not uh, harming myself. And I had this back injury when I was playing football at UK, and I had paperwork from UK that said I had a chronic back condition. Even though my back really wasn't hurting me, I was able to go to doctors um, and with this paperwork and basically get what I wanted. So I did that for a long time. And um, but basically became the most important thing in my life. Um, and I love the thrill of it, of going to doctors. I mean, I would travel different places to go see these doctors, um, you know, and it just kind of slowly got worse and worse until the point where, um, uh, I just couldn't do it anymore. My, everything was revolving around my use. Um, I really wasn't there like when I was there, if that makes sense, even with, with my kids, I loved them and I was, I was there, but I was still, I was numb and it all depended on my mood at the time or, um, where I was at in my daily cycle of using what kind of mood I was in. And I was trying to escape myself, um, at all times, really all throughout the day I was using and, uh, just kind of got out of control and 
you hear, you know, there was no really rock bottom as far as losing everything. Like a lot of people will go through. But for me, I just was sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, I just couldn't do it anymore mm. and tried to, uh, we had some time off work and I was going to try to go through the withdrawal process. I tried that many times and just get through it and stop using, uh, and it couldn't do it. You know, I could, I always fell back in and now I realize there's a lot more to it than just stopping the using. Like you have to recover, you have to learn, you have to get rid of old ideas and take on some new ideas and find a new way to live that's better for your mental health, uh, which is what recovery has taught me. And I'm very grateful for that because now I can be somewhat content in my day-to-day life, which was um, not possible for a long time, you know. Was there a tipping point or was it like just basically like you got tired of the cycle? Well, there, you know, I had done a lot of things that, feel like you know I'm very shameful of um, treated my wife poorly not not physically or anything like that but just some actions I took in my relationship looking back while I was in the middle of all that madness and things I did I knew deep down all along the difference between right and wrong I was choosing uh, to kind of ignore it you know and I knew that eventually I was going to have to pay the piper. I was very fearful of the withdrawal. Opiate withdrawal is extremely painful. And I try to remind myself of that almost daily um, as a motivator to not go back down that path ever again. Um, But there was no huge, you know, no big event that caused it. It was just time for me, man. I knew it deep down. everything i just wasn't alive really you know i mean i wasn't my emotions were dull um my relationships i was pretty much isolating i was missing skipping out family events which i wasn't like me to do um my life was revolving around this thing and i really wasn't getting high anymore i was just i had to keep using uh to feel normal and like I said, I was going to try to go through withdrawal process and stop because I didn't know any better. I thought that was the answer. Uh, and I was in so much pain that I asked my wife to drive me to Newburgh, Indiana, to a treatment program. And thankfully, when I got there, I learned all this, some stuff about, no, you know, there's a lot more to it than just not using. You have to... Uh, take some steps and it's going to be hard work and uh you know it's changed my life yeah I mean I think that you know going to a place and getting like a surrounding of support um is a good place to start and it's great because that you feel like that you got some of that it sounds like right oh yeah there's a this thing so I went to inpatient for a couple weeks basically went through withdrawal there and uh opened my mind up to some things about recovery which i was completely uh ignorant to then i went to outpatient for about eight weeks uh after that 
after outpatient, I came home and was still very anxious, really didn't know how to live without that still. I was, uh, I didn't know what to do with myself just in, in day-to-day life, like without using. So I started going to AA meetings and that's where this connection thing really started to happen. I got to know other people in recovery, trying to do the right thing. And uh, that would tell me the truth about myself. It wouldn't sugarcoat. Um, they would call me out on these thoughts I would go along with. And that's kind of where the magic happens in AA is uh, this connection, these, these people who have been through it. Um, got to know a lot of good people. And to this day, some of my best relationships are, are with people that I got to know in recovery. Uh, it just feels so much more uh, genuine, you know, because they didn't know me from, from anybody and, and they were there and uh, they understood, you know, what this was like and they've been through it themselves. And it's pretty powerful. You get that sense of you're not the only one. Right, because when I was in my addiction, I felt very lonely, you know, like nobody can understand. And then getting into this connection of uh, 12-step programs, just recovery in general, yeah, it, it was uh, really a game changer for me. Yeah, and I think groups like that are like co- the community aspect of it, that it's not like dependent on one person, that it is community accountability, it's community support. Um it's, it's a safe place to explore community if you felt isolated for so long. Sounds like all along, there was a lot of uh, emphasis on yourself, even, even though you were playing team sports, that you were still focused on you being the best you could be um, and those sort of things, and even less about the, the kind of value of teamwork until you got to that point where you got to recovery. And then it was at that point when you were able to get that support uh, that you really were able to let go of some of those addictive things. Yeah, very much, very much so. Selfish, self-centered Yeah, for a long time and uh, still battle that really. I'm very introverted. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we learn about ourselves through recovery process is kind of the thought patterns that lead to all this mess are very mm-hmm. selfish and self-centered and trying to uh, change that is pretty difficult. You know, but it's doable. And I'm around people every day that are able to do that a little bit. That's why I like to read about ego. I like to read about um, ways to kind of uh, defeat that a little bit or, or puncture my ego to where I can be a little less self-centered and right. be more compassionate to others. Yeah, we're always working. Like I'm always pushing our team to become more self-aware about things and not not to be selfish or self-focused. But if you're going to work with people or you have to be aware of things that you're you're good at and you also have to be and not to be harsh or critical of yourself, but to be aware of where your challenges and your flaws lie. Um, so, you know, you need support or you need somebody to hold you accountable in those areas. Um, in order to be able to contribute your best and what your purpose is and those kind of things. Um, so yeah, that makes total sense to me. Aware, I think awareness is the key to it. You know, having some awareness of it instead of being just going along blind. And um, it's real easy to get caught up in our emotions and just go right along with them. So, you know, one of the most helpful things I've learned in recovery is I don't have to believe 
every thought I have. And uh, Amen, Travis. I read things like Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's kind of, you know, new agey kind of stuff, but I really like what he says about uh, recognizing thoughts and ego and, and emotions kind of come and go like the weather, like the clouds. And it, it's important not to just go along with every thought you have or emotion. And uh, I did that for a long time, but the trick to it is having awareness. Yeah. And I think, you know, the foundation of what we do is teaching people, you know, and I base what I do off the cognitive model, which is, you know, thoughts, actions, feelings. Um, and it's a lot easier to control your, uh, your thoughts and uh, behaviors than it is your feelings. Sometimes, you know, those seem to be a little harder, but, um, but thinking and taking captive your thoughts and, and you have that, you have, you can do that. Um, it does take, it's trying, you have to train yourself to do that, but I mean, it's not, and you're never going to be perfect, you know, at yeah. that, but it is, it is possible to do that. Um, so yeah, this is an important part, like kind of talk about that support and tying that into the awareness. Reminds me of something I heard on a podcast uh, yesterday of someone who he was talking about whenever he first started uh, the AA process and he was, he was describing his experience and it was like, Oh, I'm not the only one that has flaws and there's something that I can do to kind of work through them. So the awareness in itself can be dangerous if we just live with that and don't get the kind of support and have that place to feel free expressing uh, what those flaws are and what we can do about them. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of freedom too, Travis, you said something at the very beginning that once you um, were able to um, tell your story, um, I can't remember exactly what you said, but the, the, what I heard you say was that, you know, there was a lot of relief there. Um, and I think that that's, you know, I think that you can be destroyed in secrets. And I think that that's a lie that we tell ourselves is like, oh, I can't let these things out or I can't share this part of me um, for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, time after time, when I talk to people, when they share the really hard parts, um, there's a lot of beauty there and there's a lot of restoration there. Um, not that there's not consequences, but um, so when you said that, I, you know, that's, that's what I thought about. So it's really strange. Um, I think as Jesus taught it, the peace that passeth all understanding in recovery, I found that this the peace comes over me at the strangest times when you would least expect it. Like, like they're doing that, putting out my story, being very vulnerable and um, being open to judgment to people I've known my whole life. Um, but it felt very peaceful and you know, like, this is who I am. It's okay. And I'm trying to get better. And it was, uh, it was a relief. The same thing happened when I went to treatment, even though I was very sick and opiate withdrawal. But when I walked through those doors and kind of surrendered, um, this peace came over me at the, like now I feel peaceful. Here I am. My wife's pregnant. I'm, I'm, having to go to treatment i'm walking in through these doors and at the strangest time this piece came over me because i knew it had to be done and i was at the right place for it to get done so yeah it's a uh, really really strange but it's uh that moment of surrender will stick with me for a long time i think mm -hmm. 
So what, what do you want other, like when, when I think about um, young athletes and the, you know, just, and I know that that's not your whole identity, but I just feel like there's such a strong connection point possibly from, you know, the road you've traveled and to, I feel like there's like even more intensity now um, about kids. And I don't know how this whole like coronavirus thing is going to impact all that, but it has to impact it in some, some way, shape or form. But what would you, you know, what, um, what kind of like knowledge bomb could you drop on, uh, you know, a student athlete to just help them uh, keep things in perspective, I guess. Well, my biggest piece of advice would be balance, you know, and just trying to understand it's okay to love and commit yourself to sport, whatever sport that might be, and to work hard at it, but also understand that uh, there's a lot more to life and that it's not always going to be there. And your mental health is very important through that and that um, make sure you're putting some commitment and time and effort into other things to develop yourself. Uh, whether it's school or, you know, have a, have some goals outside of sports and, and like anything else, just try to keep some balance and, and not uh, make that into your entire identity. Yeah, I like, I like that a lot. Um, I just think that that to hear somebody who's, you know, who has kind of hit the milestones that you've hit before um, and accomplished in your life um, to hear somebody, you know, a few years outside of that, um, give you, give you some, some, some information and some knowledge is important. What would you also say to, we're going to call ourselves in our mid thirties. I'm going to hold on to that <laughs> for, for another year. All right. Um, I'm, you don't have to, but that's what, that's where I'm at. Um, so we're, we're class of 2000 graduates, right? So here we are 2020. We, you know, I, I've been reflecting a lot on this. Um, what would, and you know, what would you say to other people our age who are afraid to, and who might be, you know, thinking I'm working too much, I have too many commitments, um, who are weighing this out? Like, cause I know like it's a decision and there's a lot of factors involved in, you know, and going through something that you've gone through as far as like starting that recovery process, like what kind of things are on the other side of that, I guess, um, that have been like blessings to you and um, that you, that you weren't sure about or are surprised about? Well, I think a lot of people struggle with real change um, because of fear. I guess my, you know, my, my thing would be you are in total control of your life and your perspectives. You, you know, I, I read a lot about stoicism, like Marcus Aurelius, and uh, they kind of teach like we should focus our attention on things we can control. And that's not hard. That's not easy to do in in today's world where we're so busy and so many things going on. But there's a lot of relief to be found in the fact that uh, there's not very much I can control. But those few things that I can, that's where I'm going to focus on. That's where I'm going to put my attention. So that's not an easy thing to do. But with practice, it's doable. But change is exciting. Change is good. Don't be afraid to change. And you can change your life more than you would ever believe. Um, 
I do a lot of things now. I used to kind of make fun of other people for doing, you know, I, uh, I go to AA. I used to kind of uh, laugh at people who did that. I, uh, I read every day. I used to kind of poke fun at my wife when she would sit down and read at night. I do yoga every day. I really used to make fun of people who do, who do yoga. Um, change is possible and it's good and it's exciting. It makes us feel alive and we need that. The monotony and the rat race that we can get caught up in with our jobs and day-to-day -day life and routine, um, it's okay to change and to uh, experience new things and, and feel alive and you are in control and um, you know it, it's possible and the first step is that surrender it's very peaceful when that happens but if you surrender and to to change it's it's good it's you know it's scary but you know you have to get outside of your comfort zone a little bit and be willing to change that AA teaches honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness as being the keys to making a change in your life, and I believe that 100%. So that would be uh, that would be kind of what I would say about that. It's good insight. I like that. I like that too. Um, so if if somebody wanted to contact you about the recovery project that you're doing, how would they do that? We have a Facebook page, Owensboro Recovery Project. But you can search it up on Facebook, Owensboro Recovery Project. Okay. You can um, message message me on there. There's about six to eight of us that are kind of involved in the uh, as the a committee, the board, or whatever you want to call it for that. Really, we're we're focusing on the surrounding area of Owensboro and surrounding yeah. counties. But right. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm free to or open to talking with or trying to help anyone through addiction or I can share my experience, strength, and hope. Um, ultimately, it's us that has to change, but I would be open to talking with and helping anybody I can. We're doing something on our page, on our recovery project during this time of COVID <clears throat> because we're not able to go to meetings and stay connected with the, the people mm -hmm. in the program and each other as much other than mm -hmm. online. There are, um, so at 7 p.m. every night on Owensboro Recovery Project's Facebook page, we're going live with a different speaker or a different topic related to recovery. It's really been success so far. Uh, we've reached a lot of people. Cool. Uh, so feel free to check that out every night at 7 p.m. We're talking recovery for about a half an hour. Uh, we're putting out links to different Zoom meetings for AA. But yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to keep a little bit of normalcy and connection during this time. Yeah, and so I think we can totally share that. And um, you don't have to be in a one sprawl to do that. You could be anywhere to join in on the Facebook Lives, right? All right, all you have to do is go and like Owensboro Recovery Project. And um, you'll be able to access those every night at 7 p.m. Cool. cool. All right. Well, this has been fun, Travis. Thank you for agreeing. <laughs> yeah. Thank you all very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. it yeah, thanks for joining me. us. This really helps me um, with my recovery, too, being able to talk through things and, uh, and share. It helps me with, with my recovery, so I appreciate it. Mapping Healthy Minds podcast is sponsored by Compass Counseling. We all have mental health, and we believe that taking care of it cannot wait. You can learn more about Compass Counseling 
or book an appointment online at www.compasscounseling.com. Compass offers online counseling and in-person counseling in Paducah, Henderson, and Owensboro, Kentucky. Currently, we are offering all of our listeners a free resource. Uh, there is an ebook called 10 Questions to Ask Before Starting Counseling available, and the link to that is in the show notes. Please give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and tell other people if you find this podcast to be helpful. I'm licensed marriage and family therapist, Justin Lewis. Remember, until next time, we all have mental health. How's yours?